It's 2022, which marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's very first single, Everybody, in 1982. Last August, it was announced that her albums would be re-released with new versions curated by Madonna herself. What does that mean? Well, here on Inside the Groove, we're working through each of her albums one by one to tell the story of how they were recorded, written and produced, along with the iconic photography and graphic design. Confessions on a Dance Floor was the 10th studio album from Madonna, released on 9th of November 2005. It was her first album for Warner Brothers, having previously been signed to Warner's side projects Sire and Maverick. The album was hugely successful, reaching number one in the charts in almost every territory where it was released. In fact, it's easier to mention the places where it failed to reach the top stop. New Zealand, Mexico, Japan, Czechoslovakia and Argentina, but even then it was top five. As of 2014, it has sold 10 million copies to date. The album includes four singles and of course was spearheaded by Hung Up, which itself reached number one in 41 countries around the world and is by far Madonna's best performing single of the 21st century. Follow-up single Sorry was also a UK number one, but this is where things change for Madonna, with the remainder of the project getting next to no radio play in the US, a point which would have a significant effect on Madonna's future musical choices. However, Confessions is a firm fan favourite, a collection of 10 electro-pop disco anthems plus two slightly more mid-tempo songs to close the album. It leans very heavily on the music that influenced Madonna at the beginning of her career, with references to ABBA, The Jacksons, Donna Summer, and more than one nod to the Pet Shop Boys, no doubt partly due to the fact that co-producer Stuart Price is a huge fan of the British electropop duo. I'll also be talking about the Stephen Klein photography of this project, along with my guests, as well as the art direction across the entire project by Giovanni Bianco. The album came about after Madonna had attempted two musical projects before Confessions, and I'll be playing you unused material from those sessions, as well as early demos of songs that made the final album. I'll be paying special attention to the song Jump. So, for now, sit back, relax, just take my hands, get ready to go inside the groove. Inside the Groove is travelling down this road because music makes the people come together, it's a celebration. On 21st of May 2022, this podcast will be doing a live episode from the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London and you're invited not only to be in the audience but there will be a quiz beforehand to win a place on the panel. Not only will me, Jonathan and Peter be talking about Madonna's 2009 compilation album but it's a proper celebration. We also have a Madonna-only disco from BBC Radio 2 producer Johnny California and we are ending the party with a Madonna performance by none other than pop star and mega fan Tom Aspel. Join us in central London from 2pm for the first post-lockdown Madonna Tea Party. Tickets are on sale. Early bird prices are just £6. So head to insidethegroove.co.uk slash live. 
Welcome back to Inside the Groove. Now, because I record these episodes way in advance, anything might have happened by the time you listen, but in my real life, I've had the best of times, and, well, maybe not the worst, but not great ones. The best, of course, was attending the Queerties, where Inside the Groove was nominated for the Podcast Award. Race chasers were the winners, not surprisingly, but I got to have a great chat and a photo with Willem from that podcast, who also let me pose with a picture with them and meet Paul, who's holding the award. And just as exciting, I got to meet Michaela, a.k.a. MJ Rodriguez, who plays Blanca in Pose. We got to speak about that programme and the use of Vogue and how it was Madonna that brought together the black community and the LGBT community. And I can't begin to tell you how wonderful it was to talk with an icon about a legend. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support and love, which gave me the chance to be there. Most of all, I got to take my wonderful husband, who was definitely the best dressed man there. His two favourite things are drag race and clothes. So to have drag race stars come up to him and tell him how much they loved his pink tartan suit was wonderful. We've had a tough two years like everybody in the world, but to everyone that voted and gave us that opportunity, I salute you. I also got to host a Madonna quiz at Akbar on Sunset Strip, and the winner of that quiz is going to appear on this podcast. That was his prize. He was quite the character, and you will hear from him later in this episode. It's not my first or even second trip to LA, but it was a bit of a pilgrimage this time around. We visited the Hollywood Forever Cemetery where the photo shoot for Like a Prayer took place. It was surreal, really, to track down those locations where Madonna and her Brits made those truly iconic images, December 1988. And yes, I got a shot of me leaning against that cross. Since my return, things haven't been great. Um, I wasn't particularly well when we were away. And a few days after my return, I was rushed into hospital. I don't want to be a drama queen, but <laughs> I did spend four days there. Um, several blood transfusions, etc. I'm, I'm pretty much better being back at work. Um, and um, I am actually going back into hospital tomorrow. Um, please don't worry about me. I'm sure it will be okay. But I am going to say right now, that this episode is not as full and as detailed as I would like any of our episodes to be, uh, particularly not Confessions, which is one of my absolute favourite albums. Um, so I apologise, I hope you understand, and I hope to be fully back on form soon. Uh, rather like Madonna, when she fell off a horse and then launched the campaign for this fantastic album. Fingers crossed. Late 2003, early 2004, following the release of American Life, Madonna began writing a stage play musical with long-term collaborator Patrick Leonard called Hello Suckers. It's possible that she also recorded some tracks with Mirwais at the time too. In fact, when she then worked on a musical project with director Luc Besson, which she later stepped away from, she felt that she had quite a large number of songs which didn't have an outlet. If you can cast your mind back to how music sounded back then, particularly in the UK and parts of Europe, there was suddenly a very rocky vibe to music. You had bands like uh, White Stripes, uh, The Hives, um, you even had sort of slightly more comedic bands like the darkness creating a lot of rocky kind of music and madonna was doing rock mixes of the tracks from american life it was very much the sound that i think i expected her to go in and in fact she did record um a few tracks like that here's a demo that comes from the hello sucker session and it's called in love with love Angels above, I want you over me. 
honestly think that if Madonna had released that at the end of 2003, 2004, it would have been a massive, massive hit. That's so what music was doing at the time, certainly in the UK, as I said earlier. But she was trying really interesting things. I wish we knew the whole story behind these two musical projects. Madonna has talked about it a little, but I'm going to play you another track, which is a cover of a very familiar song. In fact, it's something of a standard. It's a song called If You Go Away, which is the English language version of a 1959 Jacques Brel song called Ne Me Pas. Uh, the English lyrics are recorded by Rob McEwen. It's been recorded by everybody, Shirley Bassey, Frank Sinatra, the whole lot. In terms of chart success, I think the biggest hit is probably Demeter Joe or Terry Jacks, actually. He recorded a version of the song which fed pretty well in the US and got to number eight in the UK in 1974. This is Madonna's and Mia Weiss's version. It's absolutely stunning. If you go away, but if you stay, I'll make you a day like no day has been. We'll be again. We'll sail the sun. We'll ride on the rain. We'll talk to the trees. Worship the absolutely stunning what else is in the archives for us to listen to it was back in august last year that madonna announced that her back catalog was going to be re-released according to her record company there would be personally curated versions of those albums coming out and still we haven't heard anything it's now quite some time later and currently madonna is obsessed with a version of frozen that was playing on tiktok nearly a year ago and re-releasing different versions of that. I'm not going to get into a discussion, but I really hope we get to hear about these reissues soon because there's clearly a lot of stuff in the archives. So going back to when that song and the previous one was recorded, well, it was back in 2004 that Madonna began the reinvention tour um, and it was in support of the American Life album. And once again, her musical director was Stuart Price, who she had first worked with on the Drownwell tour in 2001. It was then that she decided to record some stuff with Stuart Price. She enjoyed the simplicity and the intimacy of working with him in his North London flat and decided that she wanted to make a record that would make people smile. Of course, the standout track on Confessions is lead single Hung Up. Madonna spoke to Attitude magazine in 2005 about how that song came about. She said, when we were writing, we were like, okay, we want to make the ultimate pop dance record. So let's listen to stuff for inspiration. We listened to lots of ABBA records and lots of Giorgio Moroder and Carone, but we kept going through stuff and soaking it all up. And ultimately ABBA found its way into our psyches. Stuart played me the music for Hung Up and I wrote the lyrics in about 10 minutes driving around in my car. Of course, if you listen to the episode about that song, you'll know a bit more around the story. And of course, that included Madonna having to get clearance. She said, I think they may have had doubts about letting us sample their record. I had to send my emissary to Stockholm with a letter and the record, begging them and imploring them and telling them how much I will worship their music, telling them that it was an homage to them, which is all true. And they had to think about it, Benny and Bjorn. They didn't say yes straight away. They never let anyone sample their music. They could have said no. Thank God that they didn't. And, of course, Hung Up begins with a chunk of lyrics from Love Song, that duet recorded with Prince on Like a Prayer. She was asked by Attitude magazine if this was deliberate, the references to her past records. She said, no, I just feel I can plagiarise myself whenever I feel like it. It's all part of my past and I'm dragging my past into the present and hopefully into the future.
It was whilst finishing the album and working on the promotion campaign that Madonna suffered an accident which would change her motivation somewhat. I'm joined now by Lucy O'Brien, author of the Madonna biography Like an Icon, to tell me a bit more about that. Lucy, I'm assuming you're a fan of this record? Yeah, I I really love Confessions and there's a nice story behind it because just before recording Confessions, she had her Lady of the Manor period where she was living out in Wiltshire with Guy and doing the shooting and hunting and all that. And she was riding a horse and you might remember she had a really bad riding accident mm-hmm. and she was laid up and for Madonna to not be able to move is tortuous. <laughs> and, and I remember meeting her right-hand woman, Liz Rosenberg, in New York, you know, when I was first working on the book. And uh, this wasn't that long after Madonna had come out of hospital and she was she was working on the album and everything. And Liz said... After that forced uh, recuperation, she emerged like a bullet from a gun. It's almost like the Confessions album, That's What You Hear, is that full tilt energy. And it, it runs through all of those tracks, you know, and the the kind of real almost bravado of tracks like Hung Up, my personal favourite, Sorry, which I also absolutely love the mix by the Pet Shop Boys, which I yes. think it sort of stands at either is in the pantheon there. And yeah. um, that really driving energy of jump. You know, it was like it was like she'd um kickstarted herself into a, a whole new phase in her career. Thank you so much, Lucy. And I'm pleased to let everybody know that Lucy will be at the event on the 21st of May in London. She'll be on the panel and she will also be there signing copies of her book, Like an Icon, and I'm sure some of her other books as well. So please do come along. And two other people who will be at that event are fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price and art director Peter Falloon, who are now here to talk about the artwork for the Confessions album. Jonathan, I'm going to come to you about that album photo shoot. What can you tell us about it? So this is photographed by Stephen Klein, who, of course, we all know the name of. And it's, I think, their third collaboration at this point. After working on the project that I mentioned in the last episode, which was that exquisite photo shoot for the Ecstatic Process project. She's worked with him again a number of times after the shoot as well. You know, the big H&M campaign, Dolce Gabbana. And then most controversially with that very recent Marilyn Monroe inspired cover story for V Magazine, which came out at the end of 2021. And I'm digressing only to say that this is another example of Madonna building long-term relationships with creative people. So this photo shoot was done on August 2005 and it was creative directed by Giovanni Bianco. It was actually shot on 12 different sets in LA, which I feel is quite surprising actually when you look at the album artwork itself, because actually it's a very simple setup and only one is used on the on the inlay card of the CD and the record. But actually the series of images that they took across all these different sets were used for a long time in the campaign. I mean, I guess it must have been nearly two years that they promoted this project from the album's release through the tour and then all of the other promotion that they did. And I remember at that time actually seeing newsstands over those 18 months where she was on so many covers internationally, which were all taken from that time in lots of different looks. So as we know from the music, the references are all 
the 70s. You know, it's all ABBA and the Bee Gees and Giorgio Moroder. So we really see this very linear and direct reference visually to that time period. It's possibly the first time actually that we see such a direct reference between the music and the visuals of a Madonna era. And on Stephen and Madonna's mood board, they had a lot of film clippings. So it was films, of course, like Saturday Night Fever, which also was referenced visually in the hung up music video in the art direction and also in the costumes and the choreography. And less obviously though, it is references from the Ken Russell film, Tommy, for example, the Tina Turner acid queen scene, which we can see Madonna in some of these photos wearing that sort of magenta red sequin dress dancing that's lit from above with a very black background. Some of that visual, I think, was also used on the tour. And, and then a second scene from that movie, which was Anne Margaret smash the mirror scene, which is referenced uh, again with Madonna wearing red, but this time a sort of more sophisticated white room with Italian furniture. And that was used in a lot of uh, magazine fashion stories that promoted the album at the time. Looking specifically at the album, though, it's the second time I feel that we see Madonna really playing with photographic manipulation after American Life. So the photos are, are quite heavily retouched and then layered with the graphics of this sort of disco ball effect. And at the time, I remember really loving that aesthetic. It seemed quite clean and bold. But looking at them again, I sort of think it looks a little dated. You can see how technology has moved on a little and Photoshop is a little more advanced than, than the simplicity of, of what came through in that album. I thought I would come back to Confessions and find no fault, but, but, it, but it is a little, a little simplistic. I do, I do like it and I've got a lot of affection for it, but, but particularly the lack of diversity in the photos after seeing so many images from that campaign. And of course, we can't mention photography on this podcast without talking about her hair. <laughs> I know you'll like this, Edward. Of course. You know, I think the photos are really significant for this very red Farrah Fawcett style feathered hair, which is actually artificially altered. You know, we see yes. in that time period where it's just a sort of warm tone. And she wears a lot of Versace throughout these photographs, which brings a kind of glamour to that dancing and nightlife feeling that are trying to be conveyed in the imagery. But I think what I love most about it is that it's very consistent through the entire campaign, you know, from, from the first album through all of the singles and the promotional material, it's a very strong image that really stuck with the general public as well. I think it's a very sort of strong impression from that time. She did. I think it's a real example. I don't know how she does it, but it's almost like a face change. And I know that's done with makeup and hair and everything like that, but she has a confessional look in her entire appearance, doesn't she? And of course, I love the bit about the hair because that was fascinating because Madonna has said previously she hates red hair and yet artificially changed her hair color to red in, in these pictures. Maybe just to give a point of difference that, feel bit, you know, it looked different to what she'd done previously. I don't know, but it's fascinating because I very much tie up my thoughts of these photo shoots with my thoughts on the album. They're very positive. I love this album. I think a lot of fans agree that it's one of the highlights of her career, but you're quite right. And I can't wait to speak to you about it. It's the, the graphic design is very of its time and not brilliantly done. Um, you'll be able to explain that far more, far more eloquently than I can. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's not aged brilliantly, but I think it's yeah. sort of picking up on what J Jonathan said. It was trying to be a few things all at once. And you can sort of see that somewhere within was an original idea, but then when it got to label or something, it feels like somebody had a panic. So. Her head, her hair has been toned red, 
we don't have face to the camera. She's in an unusual pose. I'm not sure you would immediately register that it was Madonna. So they've had to plaster her name as the biggest element across it, which is, it's, it's a great logo, but then it's fighting with an image. And that's always a bad thing. If you've got a strong image and then you're fighting graphically with the name, it feels a bit, bit like an attack. And then obviously they've had to make the, the O look like a disco ball because she's doing disco. So everyone's, <laughs> everyone's got to be happy. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on in what, what should be quite a simple graphic device. And the same, I think Jonathan said it earlier, the, the way that the image has been handled, it was taken from the series of shots where she was in front of the mirrors. So the original photograph is like seven versions of her in this mirrored prism. They've taken the center one and cut it out, but the, the production value that they've lost is like the, the black glossy floor and then the reflection of her. And it stops what is quite a beautiful yoga-ish pose from making proper sense. So without the yeah, reflection- Yeah, it almost looks like she's fallen over, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the arms in an uncomfortable position and it, it, it as an element, it's clunky. And then again, in um, Stephen Klein's original photos, he had a disco ball on set. There was a disco ball element in most of the shots that they were taking, whether the reflection was on her face or on the background. And then again, somebody's panicked and gone, let's graphic overlay a disco ball effect. And so all three together, I, I remember at the time thinking it was an awesome album cover, but I think technology has moved on and you probably would approach it differently. Keeping some of the original photo in the reflection would have been a nice touch, but it, I think the way that we said that she owned that red hair and that look and she had a confessions look, that logo stuck with her through the whole campaign and it was a really strong piece of branding. And we mentioned his name earlier, it's Giovanni Bianco, who his company is GB65. And I think as a trio, they worked together quite a lot. So Stephen Klein, Madonna and um, Giovanni, they worked across the ecstatic process, but the MDNA literature, the tall books, everything. So. I think they've been like a consistent powerhouse team for most of Madonna's career up until Rebel Heart. So it's 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 been a long established creative trilogy. But I, I, I agree with Jonathan regarding a lot of the sort of niceties of it. You get a lot of the images that are given full page spreads, but then they've done the same thing again. They've they've overlaid the fake glitter ball over the real one. So it's not a great piece of graphic design. It's not a great photograph because you've merged these two things that don't really belong together. I think it was really nice that they, they borrowed her handwriting again. And this time it really is hers because it was taken off her lyric notes. So a lot easier than it was. Oh, yeah. right. So it, it is actually her handwriting this time. <laughs> it's not, it's not Jerry Iden's like it was for true blue or you could dance. So yeah, I think that's a nice touch. So the, the scroll on the back, that's her listing out the songs on her original lyric sheets. So I think those sorts of, those sorts of touches make it feel quite human, but then they paired it. Everything then is using Helvetica as like the body copy. And I felt that was quite weak. It isn't very seventies. It wasn't very cool in 2005, 2006 when it came out, it sort of doesn't really have a place there. It, is, isn't the nicest of, after you've got the album cover, it isn't the nicest of experiences. There was a, a deluxe version that came out that was way more enjoyable. And I remember hunting that down in a record shop in France, I think. And it was like a, a, a double disc book. 
So you got way more photographs and it came in like a slip case and it felt way more expensive and luxurious and made a lot more of the Madonna logo as opposed to like the photographs. So yeah, uh, those those are the sorts of things that I think that the art director, Giovanni Bianco, got spot on. I think he liked to elaborate and to, to make things bigger and better. I think what Madonna's been very good at throughout her career is doing something that's both on trend and classic. She just seems to achieve that very, very well. But this one feels on trend only. I don't think it's dated as brilliantly as, you know, you look at the cover of True Blue or, or you know, Bedtime Stories. If we go through the, the, the singles and the videos as well, we've got that cohesion again with Hung Up, the video to Sorry, of course, follows on directly in, in terms of a narrative and, and, and visually, etc. And we had that cohesion with the, the covers as well. Is that right? So Sorry is also from the same photo shoot and has the same sort of graphics, uh, etc. Yes, exactly. And what I think is the real giveaway of that continuity is that wonderful Diamante eyelash line that she used with those fake eyelashes. I really liked that look from that time period. And do you know what? Actually, some of the photos from this era are some of my favorites from the 2000s. In fact, you know, there's some really beautiful portraits. And even though I've said that I don't love the cover image, you know, from, from this same time period, there's a beautiful shot, for example, on the get together picture disc with Madonna close up with the disco ball. And, you know, this is from the same shoot and, and I think it's a really striking, beautiful image. Well, Tokyo, I think, isn't the main cover for get together a collection of people? I don't know if it's her posse or something. Yeah. So I think the main image I think was taken at the New York launch of the album, which was the misshapes DJing with Stuart Price. Oh, and Stuart Price is in the picture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they did, uh, I, I can't remember, it was somewhere, it's in It's in the, the village in New York or the Lower East Side in New York. Ah, uh, right. Okay. And I remember from that time thinking that would be such a cool thing to go to. And then of course with the video, this is when she was on tour. So they basically took some footage and turned it into a video, rotoscoping it, etc. Peter, you probably know all about this kind of technique. Yeah, it was. She did that gig at Coco in Camden, and I was there. Um, yes. Oh, so it, it, mm. it was. Oh, that's cool. But it's based on well, well there's two versions. So there's an American version and an English version, and I think it caters to the two different audiences. So the, U, the UK version was based on an artist called Milo Manara. He was a comic book style artist, a little bit manga, a little bit, you see it in sort of the tree shapes and things like that. So there, there was a the correlation, but it was at the peak of like After Effects, mm. which is animation program. So it's really elaborate and very sort of takes you through lots of worlds and, but the footage never quite gels perfectly because it's rotoscoped and it's from a live stage performance. It technically it's amazing, but it, it hasn't probably held up as well because it was low res, well not low res footage, but it wasn't the best quality. If you're in a studio with amazing lighting, you'd get hard lines to cut round. Whereas this is like live action on stage, very blurry. So they've had to pile up the effects to try and make the 3D work with the 2D version of Madonna. So it, at the time it got referenced an awful lot as being like an incredibly cool piece of like moving image and uh, art direction. But I think now because techniques and things have superseded it's not quite as good as people remember it being it sort of reminded me of the elton john one for are you ready for love where they 
at least played with the 70s-ness of it. This feels mm. very sort of space age and futuristic, which did totally suit the song, but it really deserved its own video. It's, mm. it's, it's one of her most femic pieces of disco pop. And I think it, it was done dirty, not having its own amazing Madonna visual for it. I remember seeing it performed on the Parkinson interview she did and loving the song from the beginning. And I'd actually presumed my brain had just made the connection that that live footage was taken from the Parkinson performance. But it makes much more sense that it's Coco. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my absolute favorite Madonna songs. And I don't get people, there are some people that don't really like it. And I think you're mad. It's Madonna into a T, this song. It's such a good song. It's such mm. good lyrics. And at the time, very forward facing production as well. I mean, it sounds quite dated now, but in, in a good way, it's like high quality. I think it's the one where you could hear the most Jacques Lacan. Yeah. It's, yeah. I love that sort of French disco that was coming in. And yeah, I think that knowing that Stuart Price could flip his brain and be the other version of himself on that song, it really, really comes to life. Yeah. The American version of the video is way more starburst and simplistic. So I don't know why they changed for territory, but it's very, it's much more dour. So it's starbursts and a bit more, a bit more of like that seventies kitsch where things are highlighted and made to glitter a, a bit like Kylie's, um, one from the disco album, like an earlier version of that. It's, oh, right. Okay. It's not quite as rich or as enjoyable. You don't feel like you've gone on a journey. And there's a way more of like the, the city elements in it. Of course, the fourth single is Jump. And this time, although she wasn't at all, she did find time to, to shoot a video with parkour and dancing a and a wig. <laughs> not, not sure how successful the wig is, but Madonna was very keen on it. And again, the single artwork tied into all that as well. I mean, I love Jump as well. I love its reference to Pet Shop Boys, West End Girls. It's oh, just such a beautiful period. Thoughts on, on Jump, the single cover, video, etc. I mean, for me, actually, in that time period, Madonna could do no wrong. So I remember people criticizing the wig. I loved the wig. Mm -hmm. The video was criticized. I loved the video. Everything about her I loved. And the first time I realized that it was going to be released as a single, I was drunk at the student union on a <laughs> night out at university. And I was going to buy a bottle of water to head home. And there was a, a preview of the next day's newspaper sitting out on the shelf. She was on the front cover of probably the Daily Mail or something in the blonde wig. And I was pointing to my friend saying she's changed her look she's changed her look and then having absolutely no interest in being like why do you care about this but but yes i think exactly right kindred spirits but but i thought it was i'm so glad they did four singles i think it's a great fourth single choice i mean there's so many strong tracks in this album that there probably could have been a fifth single but but yeah i really enjoyed it i think again now looking at it things look a little dated in a way that other madonna work doesn't but i still enjoy it I think okay. something that was really cool was when you, because was Jump released right when the tour started? Or no, what? I think she was in Japan when she shot this. So I don't think it was at the beginning of the tour, no. Because what I liked was the synergy about the fact that when Jump was performed live, all of a sudden from behind you in the auditorium came these parkour dancers. Mm. So to have that carry across into the video, I thought was quite a nice touch. And then again on the cover. So between live performance, the video, and then the, the cover artwork, the parkour thing. And I mean, it, it was at its peak. It was an incredibly cool thing. It ended yeah. up in a Bond film and they ripped the piss out of it on The Office. So she, yeah. she, she was on it like she was on Voguing. So 
parkour yeah. madonna i would i really enjoyed that but the video felt too contained if there'd mm. been sort of a bit more space yeah it felt like you were in a a playpen as opposed to like a real city parkour thing that's true that's it was very separate criticism but yeah i i i agree with jonathan fourth of, of probably her strongest singles and the confessionist tour was phenomenal as well yeah uh, absolutely i never saw it i've seen it retrospectively on on various formats it's of course the only time i've seen her oh really it, it was immense yeah mm. my husband managed to stay awake through that one <laughs> <laughs> Okay, further reading uh, and following up. Jonathan, I'll come to you first. So there were so many great shoots from this time. I'll just pick a couple of my favorites. Firstly, just before the album was released, she did a cover story for American Vogue with British photographer Tim Walker. Tim has done incredible work that's very elaborate. It's very British and irreverent. And, and what I love about this is that it sort of brings a new element to Madonna. And of course, when you look at this, you see she's very much in a particular phase in her life, which was the English rose at the country manor phase. So this is the shoot where she looks very soft, very, very maternal with her kids in bed tucked up and wearing tweeds. And there's a portrait of her with Guy. And you know, I, I do love this shoot standing alone, but I also love it with the knowledge that within only a couple of months, she completely changed her look, you know, something that I just find so inspiring about Madonna. Another photo shoot to look up was the June 2006 cover story for W Magazine, which was shot by Stephen, who of course did the artwork for the album. And it's that equestrian themed shoot where she is featured with the black and white horses and it's very stark, very <coughs> cinematic and quite dark. And that was also filmed, I think, for the tour visuals as the backdrop. So it pairs beautifully with that. I also would say to have a look at Stephen Klein's Instagram because he posts outtakes sometimes. And there's one in particular, which was posted in 2018. So we're going back a few years and it was an outtake, which he'd used a kind of polarization text technique on the photograph, which we had seen in a couple, one or two of the images that were released at the time, but not many. It was very, very rarely used in, in this shoot. And, and I just loved seeing this different, different side that we hadn't been able to see. The final thing is if someone wanted to look up Stephen talking about Madonna, there is an interview with him on YouTube. It's called Stephen Klein and Madonna Collaboration. And it was from the Ecstatic Process exhibition that he was doing. So obviously just a couple years before Confessions between American Life and Confessions. And in it, he says that working with Madonna is a 50-50 creative process. He said that he is not interested in dressing her up like a model when he works with her. And what he loves about her is that she's not afraid to be ugly or let herself go. And it's really about exploring the idea of being a performance artist. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Peter, any further? I've got two. One would be um, Giovanni Bianco's website, which is gb65.com. Just absolute treasure trove. Of, if you want to see all of the Madonna ephemera in HD, and pixel perfect. He's uploaded like all of the original artworks and it's so being able to see the ecstatic process book and it, it's it's really nice to be able to see it. And then the other one is a pers personal touch. The company that I started working for in the um, music marketing industry, they did the TV commercial for Confessions. So that's, that's my claim to fame on this. <laughs> I wasn't actually working there at the time, but I did find it in their archive and it is up on YouTube. So I will post that because it, 
it, they've handled the three videos and tied them together nicely with that glitter ball effect. So I'm quite chuffed with that. I think a lot of people, Confessions is a bookmark in Madonna's career where they either stepped on or stepped off. And I know it's a very special album for a lot of people for that reason, but just to sum up, to get both of your thoughts on, on Confessions on the dance floor album and that whole era, Jonathan first. Well, what I love about this era is that it really had in Europe, especially as I was living there at the time and still am, mainstream appeal in a, in a really beautiful way. So it was not ever selling out. It was not trying to appeal to the masses. It was very much Madonna taking a step forward in a new creative direction after a few other creative steps that were also new and different. And it, it broke through, you know, you were hearing her on the radio, you were seeing her on TV. And I just have such great memories of, of that being a part of, of the, the zeitgeist, the ether. Yeah. And it's still, it's still an album I listen to today. Peter. Yeah. I view it as one of the three pillars of Madonna's career. So yeah, like a prayer, ray of light and confessions, they're my three go-tos. So very special uh, memories of it. It's the one that broke my husband. So he's never. <laughs> never cared about Madonna at all and he would not turn off the hung up video. So yeah, it, to, to take somebody who was either indifferent or maybe even hated Madonna and turn them into a fan that was all over that album. Yeah. So it, it, it reminds me an awful lot of like that time in my life, I was young and dating and the video was shot in London bridge and we were both working in London bridge and it was exciting to know that we were walking down the same road that she had and. It, it felt the first time that my life was a tiny little bit intertwined with Madonna's because it, it was all London-based and very European. And that was that was a really cool thing. We hadn't had that before as a Madonna fan. Yeah, I've got similar memories. I went to the listening party that was given to, to the press as I was at the time at Soho Hotel. And that was very exciting. And then we had the Coco Club thing again. I got tickets for that. So it felt very London-British. Um, at the same time, with obviously the nods towards Saturday Night Fever and the Americana, et cetera, it just, this is, I think, one of the only times in her career that Madonna's given fans exactly what they wanted and we loved it. Yeah. So Madonna, don't be shy of doing it again. You know, we're, we're quite receptive to that. You're not always right not to give us what we want, but yeah, I'm glad, glad you enjoyed so much. One of the things I love about Confessions is the references to other great artists, even if Madonna claims they were just coincidence. We know about Amber, of course, but Future Lovers has quite a large nod to Donna Summer's 1977 track, I Feel Love. Push Me references The Police's 1983 song, Every Breath You Take, written, of course, by Madonna's friend Sting, while Sorry has quite a strong sense of the Jackson's 1981 masterpiece, Can You Feel It? That song was remixed by British duo Pet Shop Boys, one of Stuart Price's favourite bands, if not his favourite. There's a reference to their song Paninaro on I Love New York in the form of a timpani drum roll every two bars. But the song which really does lean on them is Jump. The song had quite a different origin. It was originally presented to Madonna by her brother-in-law, Joe Henry, with whom Madonna co-wrote Don't Tell Me in 2000. But when Stewart was brought on board, he decided to take some influences from his favourite band's breakthrough song, Western Girls, in particular, the synth string intro. West End Girls has a very significant and familiar synth bass to it, and it's not replicated exactly on Jump. In fact, the bass on Jump is played on a guitar. However, it's got a very similar rhythm. 
But of course, what gives the song its identity is Madonna's vocals. Have a listen to them here. It's time to make my way. I'm not afraid of what I'll face, but I'm afraid to stay. I'm going down my own road and I can make it alone. I'll work and I'll fight till I find a place of my own. Are you ready to jump? Get ready to jump. Don't ever look back, oh baby. Yes, I'm ready to jump. Just take my hands. Get ready to jump. I love that song. And yes, we were joking about the video earlier, but it's a lot of fun. And it's probably one of those forgotten Madonna songs. I'm sure when the general public gets to hear that again, they remember just the brilliance of this wonderful era. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we have an extra guest, and this is the winner of the quiz that I ran in LA back at the end of February. And, well, he's one hell of a character. He did so well. I don't want to let you know what the quiz is, because I'm going to use it again, I'm sure. But he answered some really hardcore questions. He's a big, big fan. Hi there. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Hi, my name is Beauregard von Hoffman. I come from a family of awesome artists that have always been well-supported out of Miami, Florida. I am a child of disco, and I'm happy to be um, representing Madonna on behalf of Los Angeles. It was so nice post-vaccination to bring everyone together. I think we're all looking for community, and I'm here to support everyone that showed up. So I'm a director. I come from theater into graphic arts. I'm obsessed with fonts. I do, <laughs> I do many, many different types of jobs, but Mainly, I'm here to create uh, and finish good art with a lot of good performers. And of course, you're a big Madonna fan. Wait, how, long yes. have you been, how long have you been a fan of Madonna? For? I've been a fan since, I would say, officially since the Bedtime Story video premiered in late 94. I was big into symbolism back in the directing school. So I would say the Mark Romantic video, several of them had passed me by. So, you know, your, your Rain video was already up and, you know, several years out. But it was specific to the Bedtime Story video that made me stop take note really showed me directly that she honored her um, origins and her inspiration so bedtime story all the way it's an incredible video a, a, a fantastic song as well and, yes. uh, and i was so impressed because it was a really tough quiz that we did in la but you you did very very well well obviously you won but i was impressed by your madonna homage appreciate it thank you so much <laughs> so obviously as i explained to the listeners the winning the prize for winning that um competition was a spot on the latest episode and this is about confessions on a dance floor and we were at the end of that episode now and we've talked all about the design and the photography and everything else including some of the outtakes from the album uh, and we're going to end the episode by getting a real fan's view on it and i know from our conversations you're a big fan of confessions aren't you Yes, I am. Absolutely. During that time, we were just coming off of the ecstatic process tour that was specifically in New York City. I was mm -hmm. a big Stephen Klein person at the time, and I still am. Mm -hmm. uh, footage had just come out of her in a, in a pink dress, specifically the Versace footage, where she looks into the mirror, paused her way into understanding who she really is. And I was like, who directed this? So I connected myself to the editor. His name is Avid Diva. He does a lot of the remix videos at that during that time and still continues to work with the work. And I became his good friend. I specifically am still in contact with my. He actually has my. He has. I have his blessing today as I speak to you about this. Um, 
it was about that footage and a lot of my work I would you know emulate or be around that sort of a genre get together becomes my entry into this album those screens that would later on premiere or fully be fully showcased in the tour but specifically to the editing techniques based on that kaleidoscopic sort of you know MacGuffin that's associated with his work which is beautiful well, we were saying earlier in the episode that Get Together is almost a forgotten Madonna single by some people because they always think of the big hits like Into the Groove and Like a Bear. But I personally think Get Together is one of her very best songs. It's You're clearly a fan as well. I agree. I mean, it, it harkens back to an era where, I mean, I would always say she's future romantic. She's been future romantic, I'd say, since the early 90s. But this is an era that could even be potentially Xanadu, but in the future. Or it would harken back to should we dare to say Donna Summer, which she does use later on in the tour, but it would be, she's created a world that she never truly was an icon in, but after she became famous, she was able to go back to that and, and she's give us that. retrospectively fitted herself into it. Absolutely. So what Madonna does very well. So other tracks on Confessions that you, you really click with, ones that you really love? So I would say, I'm always, I'm, I always, it's a hybrid between the tour itself and the actual album. For me, mm. it's the Disco Inferno intro to music on the tour. Yes. This is such a bonus for not only fans, but visual connoisseurs. I love anytime she can reference specifically erotica and just make it work. We also get Where's the Party in the beginning of that. So that's a mega bonus for me. Um, I'm a big fan of um, you know, going across you know, the radio dials and seeing what tunes in with Madonna. She's done that in several remixes before, but on the actual album itself, as it was one very long, uh, good DJ set, you know, I think Let It Will Be is an interesting, you know, is an interesting thrust song. I think, um, of course, we can say Sorry. I think for me, Sorry, the, the idea of it being somewhat of a sequel to Hung Up is a genius. You know, behind, with, I think Jamie King was associated with that. And, the idea of them just exiting the club from, you know, hung up and them going into sorry, those are all connected to the album for me specifically. Um, yeah, and I think we should be, we're grateful that she continues to reference herself because sometimes previous to, let's say, the reinvention era, she was never able to even say, I don't, I don't reinvent myself, I'm just telling the truth. Or she would give these very nonchalant uh, answers where she's like, oh, I'm not reinventing. But after your, you know, your, you know, your American life and your reinvention tour, where she claims the reinvention, I like any time that we, as the as the actual consumer or fan, gets her, you know, showing us that as well. So Madonna hasn't performed any of the songs from Confessions for a few years now. Do you think? Do you think she doesn't like this album, or, or what do you think is going on there? Who knows? There's a lot of Guy Ritchie during that era, so mm. we have ourselves probably, you know, as any one of our exes, she might want to move on from some of that. But, you know, if she's able to bring in a screen or two, you know, with her costume changes, which I come from large screen media. So for me, it's like, it's a breath for the actor, but it's really special for the fans. So you never know. I mean, just when you think she's going to be all ballads, she's all disco, you know, it could be that. But I think one of the catchphrases from this was, you know, there's no gaps, there's no, there's no ballads, just put your dancing shoes on. You know, the idea is you never know. So, but I'm, I'm grateful to the tour and I'm grateful for the whole album. I think we all are here to celebrate so, it too. So a controversial question, and you may not want to answer this, but mm -hmm. from lots of fans, and we discussed this in the episode, this is the last great Madonna album. Now there will be people listening that will completely disagree with that. But how do you feel about that? Because there is a real change in her tone post confessions as we go into the hard candy. Yeah, when I told a lot of people that I was going to be doing this episode specifically as my as my awesome prize, they were like, oh, that is the gra last great one. But I'm actually 
forgive me, but I'm a working artist and I need to have hope and I need to have my own romanticism (laughs) as my own stamina. stamina. So if anything, we kind of just got to listen to what she says. As blasé as that answer is, it's like, you know what, to her, maybe God control was a great thing. You know, putting that out, you know, maybe the working with Jonas Ackerland again was the greatest thing. So you kind of have to go off of what she says. And as a collective in art history, as you know, we just did 40 questions. My God, this is special. So this will be broken down. This will be studied. And if you do want to break it down in future generations, you can say, hey, maybe that one time with, you know, Crave, for instance, or Batuka was a masterpiece. Or you could even, you know, say that some of those wonderful, you know, Rebel Heart, I mean, Rebel Heart performances are sometimes better than the actual songs. I mean, so, you know, I think the performances we're lucky to get as well. Like, Like a Virgin, for instance, from Confessions from a Dance Floor, has x-rays of her broken bones. Not expecting that. Got it back on the horse. We get it. But, you know, I think she can, she can pick and choose from her own. So I think the, the fans are open to be, um, students, if you will. And that she gives us confidence. I think it's a very good point. I think if we were talking now in 2005, we might be saying, mm, we're not sure about this new fat, this new Confessions album. It's not as good as Bedtime Story. So it, it's a lot of the time it takes time to look back right. and re an era. Yeah. And that era would have also been like, we would have compared this to Deeper and Deeper, or we would have compared this to Ray of Light or, you know, music. So I get it. We might have also said, yeah, this is the fourth, you know, fourth tier, but really, you know, perspective. What would you like to hear from Madonna next? What would you? We know she's got a movie coming up and possibly this remix project. What would you like her to do after that? It's strange because I come from singer-songwriters. So for me, I would like, I would love her to be surrounded by candles. I would love a symphonic concept. I would love her to sit maybe in a, a beautiful, elegant setting, you know, maybe dim. I guess, I mean, I dare to say the formula of MTV Unplugged. It would be nice to hear all of Bedtime Stories live. The album was never performed on tour because of Evita, it would be nice to hear her do, once again, future romanticism in mm-hmm. order so the fans can sing along. I don't know. I'd like to have her almost do like a, a spiritual experience of Ray of Light, but in a low light setting. I'm, I'm all about visuals. And if anyone makes visuals stick, it's definitely Madonna Louise, Veronica Chalet-Leon. Absolutely. So not mentioning any of the songs that we've talked about so far, what mm-hmm. do you think is possibly the best Madonna song. Everybody. Everybody. Wow, really? The very first one? Everybody, yeah. She brings it back during this tour. She brings it back as a surprise during Girlie's show. I think that everybody sticks. I think it matters. Uh, And tying it all together, if she finds her relief or spirituality or center on the dance floor, then we should as well. Bo, thank you so much for being a guest on this show. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm sorry we didn't do a deeper dive into confessions this time. The next episode, however, is on Hard Candy. A lot to say about this somewhat controversial album, I think, and you'll be able to hear it pretty soon. Don't forget, if you're a patron, you get to hear it before everybody else. Check out the store at insidethegroove.co.uk. That's where you can also buy tickets for the event in London. And I will speak to you all, I'm sure, very soon. Very soon.